From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. Welcome back to part two of our exploration on how mindfulness can improve the quality of our lives. Our guests today are experts in the field of mindfulness and healthcare and have dedicated much of their lives teaching this practice to others. Jeffrey Zahn is an anesthesiologist and mindfulness practitioner working towards integrating mindfulness training to improve the well-being of healthcare workers. In addition, he is the author of the book Choose Happiness. Accompanying Jeff is Mickey Brown. Mickey is a registered nurse who teaches mindfulness programs for employees and faculty of the Mount Sinai Health System. Along with that, she teaches the evidence-based program Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, also known as MBSR, to groups. Mickey is the Clinical Manager for Education, Mindfulness, and Patient Well-Being at the Selikoff Centers for Occupational Health and the World Trade Center Health Program at the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. Welcome back, Mickey and Jeff. Thank Thanks. you, Krishna. Thanks. It's good to be back. So in part one of this topic on mindfulness, we talked a little bit more about the difference between mindfulness and MBSR and how to, to create a routine and a practice um, that can help you just enjoy your life in a very mindful way. So I'd love to continue this conversation with you. So I just wanted to get a little bit more specific into um, your specialty in healthcare. What are your experiences integrating mindfulness in the healthcare field? As I alluded to earlier, uh, just recently, within the last three years, and, and this built on uh, two symposium, two annual symposiums in 2015 and 2016, that medical training programs for all future doctors, uh, doctors in training, residents and fellows, the accreditation council that oversees the curricula for all of those recognized that uh, physician burnout, physician suicide were were growing issues. The physician suicide rate is approximately double than that in the general population. And they really recognize the need to be teaching trainees uh, ways of dealing with the stresses of our of our profession, of our job, which is, uh, as, as you might imagine, <laughs> quite, quite a stressful profession. So we were challenged to develop curricula to teach a variety of uh, stress-reducing techniques, including uh, attention to nutrition, attention to diet, uh, make sure people were eating right, attention to uh, physical health, uh, pr promoting uh, physical activity, gym memberships, uh, yoga classes, and the like and other than uh, stress-reducing techniques and mindfulness is one of the most well-studied out there, uh, as well as also providing psychiatry and psychological services uh, on the confidential side. But the development and implementation of mindfulness and meditation uh, sessions in training programs is now starting to become a, a common thing. It's actually a required curriculum program, uh, though many institutions across America are still struggling to, to come up with programs, come up with ways to implement them for their, for their trainees. Uh, but there's a clear recognition that it will 
uh, has the potential to improve our practicing uh, abilities, our attention to focus, our uh, decreasing uh, errors in medicine uh, in practice. So this is where we're seeing it mostly come up for me and as a physician in our academic training programs. Yeah, and I can speak to the employee side of the equation, Krishna, um, mm -hmm. because I work for both the GME and I teach for both uh, graduate medical education, so that's faculty, as well as employee wellness. And so Mount Sinai has some very robust mindfulness programs for employees. And what I have found with employees is they are equally as stressed as faculty and really welcome these resources that they can use to to be in their life in you know in a different way and so i teach half hour sessions i teach hour sessions but they become familiar with the fact that they do have resources they can create these resources within themselves which can become really so powerful and then on a patient level uh, I've been teaching the World Trade Center uh, responders cohort for many years. So there's many different ways that this has been used in medicine, but I am so happy to say that we have taken a huge leap forward from even 10 years ago in how um, the scientific evidence around mindfulness has really propelled it into healthcare, um, which is so encouraging. And then I'd, I'd add, uh, Krishna, the, there's quite a lot of similarities uh, between what we do in healthcare and what the ministry does. It's a, a, a lot of giving of oneself attention to the other that we're serving. And it's, it is a, a strain and a drain on our own selves. One of the issues is recognizing that and admitting that to ourselves as a uh, individual, as individuals, and as a profession, uh, as a as a calling. And that once we can recognize that this is so, and I see in in my research further that this is now being recognized in the clergy as well, and there are things to do about it. That the attention to uh, self-care becomes a critical aspect for our ability, we said a lot about this in the prior session, a, has a lot to do with our ability to actually be good for the others that we're trying to take care of, to help, to assist in their care. Yeah. The presiding bishop, Michael Curry, um, has this quote that I really love, and he says, the strength of the fruit is in the root. And um, I think we can all relate to that, especially professions in a, uh, in a field where they are giving a lot of themselves, like healthcare and ministry. And I am just wondering um, what the benefits of mindfulness in ministry are. Yeah, I think one of the uh, most valuable places uh, where this may be overlooked or where it can have one of its greatest effects is in practicing mindfulness in its ability to uh, enhance uh, one's own prayer. Mindfulness, as much as it teaches anything, teaches us to notice when we're not present with whatever it is we're doing. Prayer is a very deep contemplative practice. Meditation is a deep contemplative practice. But the tendency of the human mind is to get distracted. Uh, we get distracted in meditation, and I would imagine that one can be distracted in prayer. 
enhancing one's ability to notice when we're distracted will enhance our ability to come back to the task at hand, to the prayer at hand, and can in, make that practice more rich. Yeah, I would agree. Um, there's a wonderful Thoreau quote that says, the silence sings, it is musical. I remember a night when it was audible, I heard the unspeakable. And of course, this refers to the silence that even before we go into prayer, that we can kind of calm the mind, stabilize the mind, so that we're really ready to engage, to listen in our prayer life. And so I would agree with Jeff that this can so enhance our experience of prayer. I'm wondering, um, when it comes to professions that work in very high stress environment, how can they work with the stress? Beginning to understand that we are not going to live in a stress-free world, it's not realistic. Um, and then to also understand that stress has a really bad reputation. Mm -hmm. Stress can actually be good. It can motivate us. It can enhance our, uh, you know, our, our presence. But when it becomes chronic is when it becomes very debilitating to both the body and the mind. And in so many instances today, our stress is chronic. And mm -hmm. so these practices are what we can use to recognize, oh, I'm getting really, really stressed. I really need to stop, take a breath, and recenter myself because we're all gonna have uh, stressful days. And I love this quote by Viktor Frankl. I'm filled with quotes today. Um, <laughs> Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And this is the space that we begin to, Viktor Frankl talks about that space, and the space that we begin to create through our moments of silence allows us to touch into that space when we're in a really stressful situation. So that rather than reacting to our triggers, we can respond to them. It gives you that momentary pause where we can go from the limbic brain, the, pre, the uh, primitive brain, to our highly functioning brain, um, and we can make some sound decisions. And so practicing that silence can be so powerful to, you know, to really um, allow us to be in life in a different way. Mm -hmm. And speaking about um, stressful situations, what are some issues that you have both observed that have come up in people during this pandemic? Well, I'd really say that we're all sort of suffering the same stress of this pandemic, in each are in our own unique individual ways, but it's essentially an ever-present uh, thing for us to be dealing with. Uh, every time we go outside, every time we go into a shop, every time we meet another person, um, coming and going from our own homes and remembering a mask or not, each one of these things is, uh, is it's an ongoing uh, concern. And so dealing with this stressor that is ever present 
requires us to be able to stop and recalibrate ourselves, take that breath, let go of the overarching sense of this stress and just come back to the thing we're doing in the present moment and turn our focus to the, the task at hand, the now, rather than the overarching stress. It doesn't mean it's gone, but it's we're turning our focus from that amorphous, ever-present thing to the thing we're doing in the moment. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, too. I think um, that it's natural for aversion and resistance to come up to being in the middle of a pandemic. Um, typically, we kind of set a bargain. If I do this, then I'm pretty assured this will happen. Well, we're all on an individual basis doing what we think is necessary to protect ourselves and others. And yet we see no end in sight necessarily. And so it's like, wait a minute, I did my part of the bargain. Why isn't it shifting? Why isn't it changing? And so it's that acceptance that comes about recognizing that we are in this right now and this is our life right now. And through that acceptance of really being able to say, this is my life as it is right now in this very moment, it opens us up to possibility. And so the first step really is acceptance. This is what's here right now. And then we can look at what can be transformed. What are the possibilities? What could be the silver lining in this? And so again, that takes me to gratitude, which is such a powerful practice. There's a neuroscientist at uh, University of Southern California at the Brain and Creativity Institute and he's done some research on gratitude and he says that the regions associated with gratitude are part of the neural networks that light up when we socialize and experience pleasure. And so when we can take a look at what we have rather than what we have not and we can be grateful for what we have, then we're actually working with our brain in a way that actually lights up those areas that we experience when we socialize. And of course, we're being told not to socialize today. And so gratitude can be a really powerful practice in this time of this pandemic. We, we talked about technology earlier. Gratitude for technology, you know, yeah. We, social isolation is is a key part of this, right? Mm -hmm. But but imagine going through this pandemic without the internet, where we could get news without the wow. uh, without the ability to connect by our cell phones, by our computers, to see each other's faces, to see the babies being born, uh, to see our friends' pets running around. We're actually having this fortunate time with technology that is able to sustain or maintain some of our social connections that we would have otherwise have lost and made this so much more challenging. So gratitude for the technology that we have and the connections we can keep. Yeah, that's a, gratitude is a practice that I found very helpful right now for myself. Um, each day I will, at the end of the day, I will take out my gratitude journal and write down at least three things that I was grateful for during the day. And, you know, it might sound simple, but doing this over the course of time can make a huge difference on your outlook. Yeah, very definitely. 
in closing, um, how do we practically bring mindfulness into our day-to-day? The opportunities, I, I would say, start with the notion that, uh, you know, it's, it's every moment that we're awake is an opportunity to be uh, practicing mindfulness, to be noticing uh, what is going on around us and, and how rich our world can be. Uh, one of the most powerful ways to, to bring this into your lives on a day-to-day basis is to to get in touch with a little bit of nature, whether it's mm. a tree on a street or a flower in your apartment or home or your backyard. Wherever you are, there there's a window or an ability to look out or to get out into some semblance of nature and <laughs> recognize the the connection to the greater world beyond ourselves uh, that is existent all the time. Um, that will give us a sense of wonder again, a sense of what we talk about beginner's mind, that the, the, the expanse of the multitude of input and experience that is available to us at, really in every moment uh, is a great connection to bringing this into your daily life moment to moment. Yeah, and something that I often recommend, I always recommend, is to actually, when you're walking, feel your feet on the ground. Put your phone into your pocket. Feel your feet. These are, these are automatic motions that we make with our body. But when we can actually, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, you, obviously you have to be aware of everything around you, but we can gain that stability and that balance through our body. Our feet are always moving as we walk and that motion can bring us into the present moment as well. And then there's a practice that um, Jeff and I teach called two feet, one breath. And it's simply feeling your feet on the ground, feeling your connection to the earth and acknowledging the balance that the earth gives to us, the steadiness, and then taking one breath and that's a very simple practice that can be done several times a day. The other really interesting thing about having the capacity to keep your focus on your feet is that our feet are far away from our chest. And when we're in the sympathetic, the fight or flight nervous system, most of the activation takes place in our chest. The heart rate increases, our breath gets short and shallow, our, our chest might tighten, our shoulders and our neck tighten. And when we can take a breath, bring our awareness down to our feet, again, we're creating that space between stimulus and response so that we can stop for a moment to really create that space so that we can respond rather than um, rather than react. It's, it's really a, a bit of a matter of redirecting our attention yeah. and awareness. It's not to deny whatever issue uh, we're dealing with, uh, to, to sugarcoat anything, it, but when we redirect our attention, we have the ability to soften our physiologic response uh, and then perhaps gain a different perspective because we've redirected our attention. We're looking at things a different way. Um, yeah. I, I recently said, you know, the, the glass half empty and the glass half full, they're both true things. 
But when we look at it one way or the other, we feel different things. So if we redirect our attention, we challenge ourselves to look at things a bit differently. That's the perspectivist life. Uh, that's a way to bring it into just your daily life. And what works for me, um, you know, using each opportunity that I'm with food, whether I'm cooking or eating, to just really be present and eating without distraction, so not eating in front of a computer or a phone, it can really just help you connect to the present moment and have gratitude for the food that you have. It's a practice that we all do every day, and when we inject a little bit of mindfulness into it, it can make the experience into um, a very special thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, Krishna. And um, I know that we were just doing a roundtable discussion about a week ago, and you were talking about the importance of not sitting in front of technology. And so I have taken your advice, and I'm far more intentional about sitting at my kitchen table without any devices in front of me and really being uh, conscious of my gratitude for the food that I have and also of my breath because my understanding is that it takes a lot of oxygen for digestion and so mm. I feel my breath I taste the food and it really is a wonderful way to practice well I'm glad that it's working for you yeah definitely thank you for that for well, that I reminder did, I knew yeah. I was supposed to do that <laughs> I know you know I knew that you know that uh, I do. One thing to add there, that, that was just a beautiful segue to, to listen to. And, and therein, we should all be reassured. We need, we need reminders all the time. We forget. Oh gosh. It's normal. Yes. It's common. It's, it's human. Mm-hmm. So to, to be gentle with ourselves, to be non-judgmental of ourselves. Uh, and we fall off, we get back on. We see something that reminds us. We hear something that reminds us. Say, oh, yeah, I didn't do that for a while. I can start doing that again. I just wanted to thank you both for taking the time to be a part of this. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Be sure to visit the e-learning library and learning center on cpg.org for wellness resources. This is the last episode of our season. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your listening in. And if you like the podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague. Goodbye. And don't forget, now's the time to choose well. This material is not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. CPG does not provide any healthcare services and therefore cannot guarantee any results or outcomes. Always seek the advice of a healthcare professional with any questions about your personal health care, including diet and exercise. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group. <laughs>